0: You can stand with us this morning. We're grateful to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. A beautiful opportunity to transition from prayer into worship because the God that we pray to is is the God that we worship. The same God who blessed us with an amazing, wonderful pastor is the same God that's here in this place this morning, and we can worship him for all his blessings. Each and every one of you is a blessing, and we have this wonderful time together to celebrate that. So I'm going to read this prayer uh, real quick. It says, Good God, may we confess your name to the end. May we emerge unsullied and glorious from the traps and dark powers of this world as you have bound us together in love and peace, and as together we have persevered through times of hardship. May we also rejoice together in your heavenly kingdom. Amen. 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 So we're going to do that right now. The kingdom, right? Here and not yet. So we're going to do that right now. We're going to rejoice. Amen. Let's do it.
1: The God who evermore will be He opened the prison doors He parted the raging seas My God, He holds a victory There's joy in the house of the Lord There's joy in the house of the Lord today And we won't be quiet We shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. Oh oh oh, we shout out your praise. Oh, oh, oh. we sing to the God who heals. We sing to the God who saves. We sing to the God who always up on that cross and he rose up from that grave my God, still rolling stones away there's joy in the house of the lord there's joy in the house of the lord today and we won't be quiet but we shout out your praise there's joy in the house of the lord our god is surely Forgiven, accepted, redeemed by His grace. Let the house of the Lord sing praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. And we won't be quiet. We shout out your praise. There's joy in the house of the Lord. Our God is surely in this place.
0: drum solo without Bo. It it's better with you, Bo. It's better with you. Okay. I'll let it go now, but we miss you and we love you. Okay. Isaiah 46 verse four says, even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you and I will rescue you. Amen. That's the God that we praise this morning. I'm going to do a throwback here this morning. I want to hear you guys singing because I know you know this one.
1: To bow down. Here I am to say that you're my God, you're all together lovely, all together worthy, all together, wonder, Praise to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. if I choose to praise to glorify, glorify the name of all names that nothing can stand against. And I choose to praise to glorify.
2: All right. well as we remain in an attitude of worship uh, this morning, I want to invite us to open ourselves up to God in corporate prayer, and I just want to invite you all to um, just assume a posture that is comfortable and appropriate for you as you enter into God's presence, as you come before His throne boldly, right? He's meeting you there with love and open arms, and so as you approach His throne this morning... Would you just come before him, come before him with all of you and open yourself up to receive all of him? Let's pray. God, this morning we just pause and we simply rest in your presence and in your goodness. God, without our minds focused on the next piece of the service or the next item on the agenda, God, we simply pause and we open ourselves up to you. God, we just invite you. We invite you to meet us here in this moment. And God, would you just reveal yourself to us in a new and powerful and special way. God, would you meet those this morning who are weak and weary, those who are tired, those who are experiencing just the physical and mental exhaustion of life, God, would you help us? God, help us to receive your burden, which is light, this morning. God, would you draw near to those who are feeling isolated and lonely? God, would you help them to feel comforted as you welcome them into your company? God, would you draw near to those this morning who are at home, those who are at home because that's where they're able to worship these days or because of sickness or because of other circumstances. God, we just pray that you would meet each and every person in their homes or in their space, in their cars, wherever they may be. God, in this moment, may they be fully aware of your presence that is in their midst. God, we pray that you would draw near to those who are feeling anxious, stressed. God, maybe for those this morning who feel depressed, those who feel that they are walking through the valley alone in darkness, God, would you help them to know even if they. They can't touch, tangibly touch, see, or feel you. God, would you help them to know that you are with them? God, you are faithful to reveal yourself to us when we need you the most. God, would you do it again? God, would you do it again this morning for those who desperately need to see a glimpse of your light? and of your glory, and of your love. God, we thank you this morning for your faithfulness. God, we thank you that you see us and that you are near, that you never remain far away, God, but that you are always right here. You walk alongside us. God, we thank you for the ways that you welcome us into your arms, the ways that you love us, the ways that you forgive us and give us mercy and love and grace when we need it. God, we thank you this morning for the gift of community. God, we thank you for the gift of the body of Christ. I thank you, God, for the gift of this particular community, this particular body, that is such an encouragement to me. God, I feel as though I don't deserve this kind of love and I just thank you that these people are a tangible reminder of your love, that even when we feel that we couldn't earn it and don't deserve it, God, you continue to give yourself away to us and sometimes you do that through others, and I thank you for that this morning. God, would you continue to give us a vision for what you want this community to look like and how we can thrive? God, would you help us to be a welcoming community that opens its doors and, and welcomes others in, but also a community that would go and find others and extend ourselves to them. God, as they come into our midst, would you help us to love them well? Would you help us to see one another? Help us to, to be intentional with one another. God, help us to forgive one another when we've hurt one another. God, continue to show us what a Christ filled community looks like. And help us to be obedient. Help us to truly be there for one another the way that you are for us, God. God, as we open up your word, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us, that you would guide us. And that you would help us to receive these words this morning. God, we thank you again for your love and your faithfulness and your goodness. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus. And everyone said, amen. 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 Well, this morning, um, I know last week I told you that this week we were going to be looking at the story of Zacchaeus. And I, I did a little bit of switching around, but don't worry, that is coming next week. Okay, so that is absolutely coming next week, because Zacchaeus is going to be a good story to to share in together, but uh, today we are going to just go past that, Luke chapter 20, so I'm going to invite you to stand this morning, if you are able, and we're going to be reading from Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. This is the word of the Lord, it says, Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second and then the third married her and in the same way, the seven died leaving no children. And finally, the woman died too. Now then, At the resurrection, whose wife will she be since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, The people of this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the, of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. This is the word of God for the people of God this morning. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. This is a tricky one, okay? So we're going to keep it just kind of short and to the point today. And, and, and we have before us this very interesting moment, right? Because if you've been following along, if you've been here for the majority of our series throughout the Gospel of Luke, you will remember that it's been several times where we approach a passage in which Jesus is um, having words with the Pharisees, words of correction, words of confrontation sometimes, or he's addressing confrontation, or he's, he's fixing a way of thinking or redirecting a way of thinking that the Pharisees have. And here in this moment we see Jesus interacting with a very different group of people, the Sadducees. And we don't see moments like this very often, where Jesus has tension with groups other than the Pharisees. We don't have a lot of those moments in the Gospels, and so they really do stand out to us when we see that Jesus is having words with a different group or a different religious sect. And I also appreciate, we didn't read this part, but if you kept on reading, you would notice that the Pharisees, who, by the way, just had other words of kind of some, maybe not confrontation, but there was a challenge just before this passage with Jesus, and the Pharisees, I love how after he corrects the Sadducees, the Pharisees say, well said, teacher, and you're just like, wait, what? This whole time they've been trying to trick Jesus and they have issue with the way Jesus lives and with the words that he says, but now all of a sudden they're like, oh, well done, Jesus. Well done, well said. Let's go home now, <laughs> right? And so this is a very interesting, unique moment. This is the group called the Sadducees. As I said, they are another religious sect, uh, similar to the, that the Pharisees are a religious sect, But the Pharisees and Sadducees are very different. They agree on almost nothing. And as I said, we don't hear a lot about the Sadducees, but just so you know, as I said, they differ from the Pharisees. The Sadducees would have been known as the rich upper class, all right? And they were protective of the status quo, They didn't want things to change. They wanted to be able to remain the upper class and remain prosperous, and so they would protect that fiercely. The other interesting thing for you to know about the Sadducees is unlike the Pharisees, they only paid attention to what we would know as the first five books of the Bible. We call that the Pentateuch. The first five books of the Bible are what the Sadducees lived by. They did not follow anything else. So all of the prophets, right? All the rich, the Psalms and the Proverbs and stories of the prophets, the Sadducees did not hold to these. And you know how the Pharisees typically tried to trap Jesus, right? Like I said, if you, if you just look above the passage we just read, the Pharisees come to Jesus and they have this question about Caesar, And how much allegiance and what is owed exactly to Caesar, Jesus. And then we have this unique moment where it's a different group of people trying to trap Jesus, this time the Sadducees, and the trap is the resurrection. That is the trap for the Pharisees or the the Sadducees. I may do that a few times and you're just gonna have to bear with me. The Sadducees are aiming, as you can see, to discredit the resurrection. They don't believe in resurrection, period. Not just, of course, this is yet to come, Jesus' resurrection, but in any kind of resurrection. Whereas most Jews of this day had a very particular idea in mind when it came to the resurrection. They had the hope of a someday resurrection. Jews believed that someday God would raise all Jews, maybe even all humankind would be raised to new life. We would be raised from the dead. We would dwell and live in this new world. They believed that all wrongs might be put to right and that all would be alive in a new way made right with God. But the Sadducees did not believe in this. The Sadducees could have been referred to as materialists. They believed in what they could feel and what they could touch. And so you could say that in this moment, I kind of view this as they're kind of poking fun a little bit at the resurrection, and they're 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 not only aiming to discredit the resurrection, and I think they're trying to to maybe trap Jesus in a way, but it also is kind of poking fun at the resurrection because the story that they present to Jesus or the scenario is a little bit ridiculous, right? And so this passage reveals a lot about what the Sadducees believed and what they thought was, quite frankly, just a little bit ridiculous. They used this story of a woman who is married seven times, as we read. And because of a law that was in place at this time, it was called the levirate Levirate marriage, and this would provide social and economic protection for a widow if her husband died because it was hard for women to be able to, to live, to, to make ends meet, to, to have a proper wage, to have a proper way to care for themselves in this society. And so this was a way of protecting them. And so the Sadducees kind of put together this ridiculous scenario in which not only was a woman viewed as property in this life, but then also in the next life, right? And the, the ridiculous question that comes at the end of this scenario is, Jesus to whom will this woman belong after she's been married 7 times and is raised to new life right to whom will she belong Jesus ooh that's a tough one but this really indicates this whole scenario really indicates how they feel about the resurrection now i've tried to be very careful as we've seen these different confrontations with the Pharisees. I've tried to to help us to be careful not to vilify the Pharisees. We talked a lot about that last week. And in the same way, I don't want us to vilify the Sadducees, right? I want us to understand that they did not believe in resurrection. They thought it was ridiculous, and therefore, they present this ridiculous scenario. However, I don't think we should vilify them either. I don't think it's helpful for us to to point and to judge and to other those who don't see things the same way we do, right? I think that it's better for us to humanize people, to sympathize with them, and to seek to understand them. That's a much better approach. And that's not too difficult for me to do with the Sadducees. Because as I read and processed through the story of Jesus and the Sadducees, I couldn't help but wonder if there are some, even here today in our midst, who can relate somewhat to this kind of questioning when it comes to the afterlife. I think we could be honest and say we all have questions, right? I remember reading this passage when I was newly married, and I was discussing this passage with some friends, and I was like, wait a minute, what? (laughs) I don't understand this. You mean I'm not going to be married in heaven? I'm not going to be married to Bo in heaven? My little newly married mind couldn't process that, right? And, and I still don't have that all perfectly understood. And so I think we, if we were honest, we would say we all have questions when it comes to the afterlife. But then if there were some of us who were being really honest, we, we might say, you know what, I, I kind of understand where they're coming from right? Maybe we believe, maybe there's some of us here who don't have a problem believing in resurrection. We believe in the resurrected Jesus. We believe that one day we too will be raised to new life in the presence of God. And yet, it would be so nice if we could have some assurance, right? It would be so nice if we could know, Jesus, if if we could just know, if we could have some evidence of where our loved ones are in this moment. I have shared life with people who have lost loved ones and, and losing loved ones, especially losing loved ones so soon, there's just something that happens to you where you just can't help but, but wonder. Maybe you're skeptical and you just want to know, where are they? I want to know that they're not just Nothing. Right? We have serious questions and concerns, and sometimes, if we're honest, it would be nice to be able to see and touch and feel these realities which we read about in Scripture. Amen? Can we relate to this? Perhaps there are some here who, like the Pharisees, even you question the resurrection life in general, period. Some of us, we don't struggle with that maybe too much, but then there are some who, like the Sadducees, maybe you are just skeptical. Maybe you are, are skeptical. Maybe there's times where you feel like you would like to discredit the resurrection or resurrected life. Maybe you have some of these same questions and concerns in your mind, questions that we all have like, does immortality pertain mostly to the soul? Right? What, all will our, what will the, the body and the soul be like in the afterlife? Do the dead find themselves directly in the presence of God right then and there? Or is it, does full resurrection life only begin at the end of history? These are some of the questions we have. How can I be assured that my loved ones, as I said, are indeed in the presence of God? We have questions like these probably even deeper questions than what I was able to to come up with. And here's the thing that I want us to understand. I don't think that it's bad to have these questions. I don't think it's, it's wrong for us to have these questions. I think these questions are totally and completely normal for fallible human beings who do not possess the knowledge of God. And I think God would understand that. I think God understands that we have questions, that these things are hard for us to wrap our minds around. Whether we feel like we're close to the end of our life, and I, I, I can't speak for those of you who are further than I am, but I can only imagine that as I get closer to the end of my life that these questions are really going to come up. I'm really going to strongly consider, I'm not trying to be rude, you're smiling and smirking at me and I'm just, I'm just being honest (laughs) that these questions, I already think about these things, but I can only imagine that the further along I get in life, these questions are going to really be in my mind, and I think that's okay. I think these questions are okay so long as we are okay with knowing that we won't have all the answers. We have to be okay at some point with knowing that we don't have all the answers. I don't have all the answers. Spoiler alert, newsflash, I don't give you any answers. (laughs) It's times like these, actually, when I come across these passages. It's times like these when I lean heavily on scholars and those who are, are wise beyond my years, and I just lean on them. And that happened this week. I appreciated the words of Dr. Carla Sundberg. Here's how she approaches this passage. She said, we limit God when we restrict our faith to those things which we can see and touch. Knowing Jesus leads us into a daily faith walk. In this journey, we discover the spiritual world is far more than what meets the eye. And when we try to explain the kingdom of God from our limited human experience, We begin to set boundaries on what God can and cannot accomplish in our lives. She said the Sadducees couldn't imagine the resurrection from the dead because they refused to allow their faith to be expanded. Jesus is stretching us, helping us to understand that faith requires us to believe in more than what meets the eye. And so as we approach difficult passages like these, understanding that we can confess that we too have questions, maybe we're unlike the Sadducees and we don't completely deny the possibility and power of resurrection, but maybe we still have questions. And so when we approach passages like these, I just wonder, if what if Jesus is doing that which she said here and now? What if Jesus once again is seeking to expand our faith? What if we are to lean more on Jesus than on what our minds can understand and comprehend? What if we are to lean more on Jesus than what we can see and feel and touch? You see, I'll put it simply. I feel that Jesus in this moment, in his response, he's making two simple points. Simple though powerful the first point I think Jesus is making is that resurrection life will not be exactly the same as this present life. And for many of us, we say, amen. (laughs) Amen. Thanks be to God, (laughs) right? But I think Jesus is clearly saying that. He is addressing the Sadducees' ridiculous scenario and concerns. And I think he's trying to teach us that, yes, resurrection life will not be the same. I don't think that means it won't be bodily, but it's just gonna be different, right? Women will no longer be passed around like property, amen. Jesus is, I think he is kind of throwing that out, like that's not gonna be an issue in the afterlife. Who this woman belongs to is not going to be the concern or the issue. She doesn't belong to anybody, (laughs) she belongs to God, She's a woman of God and she belongs to God. So I think he's kind of just throwing that out. But I think he's also addressing a deeper concern that rather than our bodies being used in in the resurrected life, rather than them being used for what they're used for here, it's going to be different. We're no longer going to be, our bodies are no longer going to be used for marriage and procreating. We're going to have different bodies that will be appropriate for that new resurrected life. And we may not understand what that means fully, but that's okay. And for me, I I try to rest in knowing that I don't have to know exactly what that means or what that looks like or what it means for my marriage because I know that, that my God has thought of everything and I know that it will be perfect because he is perfect. And I know that he is working to unite us He's wor- working to restore what was broken here on earth and he's gonna make that right when we are resurrected and I don't care how he does it. I'm gonna let him do that how he pleases. I know it'll be perfect. The second point I think Jesus is, is trying to make is powerful. I'll get to it in just a second, but, but I just wanna point out that, that I love how Jesus is using language which the Sadducees would understand and respect you just got to love Jesus. He's brilliant, right? He is brilliant, and the way that he addresses issues is amazing because I love how he points to a story which the Sadducees would highly regard and understand. I love how Jesus doesn't disparage the Sadducees. He doesn't condemn them. He meets them on familiar ground, and he points to a story with Moses. Did you think that was random? It's kind of random, right? He, he points to Moses and he all of a sudden starts talking about Moses and the burning bush. What's up with that? I think what Jesus is doing is using language and, and identifying a moment that the Sadducees respect and revere. He's saying, remember when Moses was at the burning bush talking to God and God calls himself the God, the father of Abraham and Isaac, and the God of Jacob, Jesus is pointing to that and, and to helping the Sadducees to understand that those Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, have already experienced a resurrection of sorts because he is a God of the living, not the God of the dead. Right? At this point, with stay with me, with with Moses and the burning bush. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were long gone at this point. But Jesus is highlighting that story, going back to that story, helping the Sadducees to understand that the language used there is important because Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are not just dead. They are with the God of the living because he is not a God of the dead. He is a God of the living. And I just wonder, these are, I don't wonder about this, but I wonder for us if Jesus' words mean something to us because these are the words which Jesus uses. This isn't anyone else speaking here. This is Jesus. Jesus points back to a significant moment so that the Sadducees can understand And if we are followers of Jesus, if we believe him to be the risen son of God, then we ought to hold on to these words and these words ought to serve as words of hope and promise because Jesus reaffirms resurrected life. Jesus says there will be resurrected life. You don't just have hope and wish of resurrected life. You have the promise of resurrected life because we serve a God, not of the dead, but a God of the living and in him all are alive. They are fully and wholly and completely alive. See, I think that the more we try to figure out that which we do not know. I think it just starts to bring on anxiety and frustration and feelings of of just feeling overwhelmed. Instead, I want to challenge us, not saying you can't have questions, but at the end of the day, I want to challenge us to rest in not just the hope of resurrection life, but in the power and promise of resurrection life, which we have in Jesus Christ our Lord. I'm going to invite the praise team to come. And as they come, and as we close with this familiar song that that brings about these feelings of comfort and promise and hope, friends, I want to remind you, it's not if we are resurrected. It's when. It's when we have hope affirmed here by Jesus For what is to come after this life, and it's more life, it's better, full, whole, complete life. And while this is good and promising news, this resurrection life is not only good news for the life to come; it's good news for the here and now. I like how one professor, Emerson Powery, he says, "If God is a God of the living." Followers of Jesus ought to be about things that bring life, which seems to emphasize a call for embodied living, recalling not just what happens when we die, but paying attention to present realities. So I want to ask you, as we close with, again, this familiar, comforting song, what does God want to do here and now in our present reality How does God want to use us here in this room to be agents of his change in the world around us, which, by the way, is longing to experience this resurrection power here and now? And as we sing, great is thy faithfulness together, may we simply allow Jesus to stretch our faith, and may we lean more on him this morning than what we can know and understand. Would you sing with us?
0: Please stand as we prepare to sing.
2: May that faith continue to help us to carry on as we go throughout this life, waiting for the resurrected life to come. Well, we are going to transition quickly because of the potluck this morning. We are sharing this space, the sanctuary space with the uh, Belva Hispanic. And so we want to be sure not to linger in this space, but move straight to the fellowship hall so that they can come in and carry on with their service. Um, and so we look forward to sharing around the table with you. The only announcement I'm going to leave you with um, after telling you to just go ahead and go in the fellowship hall and find a table. And then your tables will be dismissed to, to go to the food counter, okay? Um, but so just go ahead and go find a table and then you'll be dismissed. But the other announcement I want you to remember is that this coming Saturday here at the church at 4 p.m., we're going to be hosting what we're calling an open house For the garden, uh, for the community garden, and that's gonna be held for our neighbors so that they can see our vision and our plan for the spring. And so we would love it if as many of you who could come would come. I think it's gonna be a beautiful night. We're gonna have some food and some cider together, and we're gonna share, and we're just praying that people will come and be curious to learn more about the garden. And so if you don't have any plans, Please make plans to join us. You can sign up in the fellowship hall or in the foyer. Uh, Let us know that you're coming so that we have the right amount of food. And with that, um, I'm going to pray a a prayer of blessing over our food and then dismiss you. So God, we thank you, Lord, for this day of rejoicing and blessing. And God, I just pray that you would be with us around the table as we break bread together and share in fellowship with one another. God, I pray that it would warm and fill our hearts. God, I pray that you would bless this food that we will eat to the nourishment of our bodies. And we are so thankful for all of those who have worked so hard for this beautiful potluck for us to enjoy. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, friends, may you go in the grace and peace of our Lord. May you rest in the hope and promise of resurrection this week. You are dismissed. Have a great day.